It's early on the Sunday morning, so you know what that means. Grinders, once again, this is our time. This is the Sunday Morning Grind podcast, episode number 15. Given recent events, by the way, Josh Taylor, joined by my trusted associate, Greg Finley. Greg, given recent events, is it safe to call this the Tim Tebow episode? Or is that is it a little bit too soon? I, I mean, I guess we can call it the Tim Tebow episode. <laughs> He's not. He's not a Pittsburgh guy. I mean, we've been needing these after Pittsburgh. Guys. I know, but like, just given the circumstances recently, like Tim Tebow actually getting another crack at it with the NFL with Jacksonville, it just felt like a fun time to throw that jab in. That's that's fair. Plus, um, we're going to talk about Urban Meyer a little bit during this too. I didn't really have a good backup fifteen either. It was like I say, it was like Sean McKecker, and I knew that reference would be over your head. I have no idea who that is. Yeah, like long time Penguin. Like I should say a Penguin, long time, like early nineties. I was thinking Andy LaRoche. Andy LaRoche is a good one. Do we want to, do we want to go to Andy LaRoche? Nah, we'll go to Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow's funny. It's just a funny reference. The Tim Tebow episode of the Sunday Morning Grind. We do have a lot to talk about, though. None of it's Tim Tebow related, unfortunately. Maybe we'll get to it in Is This a Thing? Yes. Maybe. Yes. Um, we got to talk about the schedule that just dropped for the NFL. For some odd reason, the NFL schedule drops, and it's like a holiday for us. I don't know why. The NFL still rules the roost. Just get over it. But that's the thing. So we got to talk about the Steelers' schedule and um, what we like and don't like about it. Because there's a few things we should be concerned about. Um, We also got to talk about the Pirates because we have seen, not only with the Pirates having so many issues with injuries, but now we're seeing former Pirates start to continue to kick things up a level. I said start to and continue at the same time. They are continuing to kick things up a level. We'll talk about that and why we might look at things in a weird kind of prism when it comes to the Pirates. We'll talk about that. Plus, we'll play our favorite news headline game, Is This a Thing? And, oh, yeah, um, our favorite guy might be back doing his thing again. We'll talk about it when we get there. First, let's talk about the NFL schedule, particularly the uh, the Steelers. Now, remember, 17-game schedule now. It's a little bit different. So now, instead of having your 8 and 8s, your 7 and 9s, your 9 and 7s, we got odd number records. Like I, I keep thinking, like, what would Jeff Fisher know do knowing that he can't be seven and nine anymore? Like does he go <laughs> seven and ten? Does he go eight and ten? I'm confused. Like this is or does he go seven and ten? I'm confused. Seven and ten or eight, eight, or eight nine. and nine. Like how how does that work now? How does it work? I don't know. It's it's mind boggling. However, you can't go five hundred anymore. You, you can't, either go over five hundred or below five hundred. That was the next thing I was gonna mention that you can't go you can't go a five hundred team. So now, the the streak of Steeler seasons of Mike Tomlin having a record of better than five hundred, or should I say, not having a losing season, mm. it could go by the wayside now because it's either going to happen or it's not. Right. <laughs> Turn it up the heat a little bit. So I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, um, let's get into the schedule here because they, it has been determined by strength of schedule in the opponents. Steelers have the strongest schedule going into next season? Seems like a weird bit of timing considering the fact that, oh yeah, your quarterback came back for one more year after having his contract restructured. Um, and he is, oh yeah, by the way, he's 39 years old. Um, you're going to have a starting running back who was just drafted in the first round, possibly a starting offensive lineman that you just drafted in the third round. And your defense looks a little bit different too. And your center's retired. <laughs> and, and that's why you drafted the guy in the third round because your center retired, a, a perennial all-pro. Now you got a guy who's going to come in as a rookie and try to take over that spot. A lot of things are changing with this team. And, oh, yeah, by the way, 
uh, toughest schedule by rank of, of strength of schedule in the league going into the season. Plus, you play an extra game. So uh, get on out there. Good luck. <laughs> but, yeah, Greg, looking at this schedule, it's crazy. Like, you're, you're looking at the teams they're playing against. Handful of teams they played against last year. Um, handful of teams who either played in the Super Bowl or in a conference championship game in the person of Green Bay and Kansas City. There's that. There's a lot to make out of this here. And, oh, yeah, there's Buffalo, who was also pretty good. There, there's a lot to really, you know, make out of what we're seeing here. Now, your first thoughts when you looked at this schedule, when you saw the games that were stacked up here, uh-huh. what, was your, what were your first thoughts? Well, opening against Buffalo scares me a ton. Yes, same. They're, they're a really good team. And... uh Home game against the Raiders to open up your home schedule. The Raiders always play the Steelers tough for some reason. And it's never a gimme when the Raiders come to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So there's that issue. Then I look at the Bengals matchup with Joe Burrow being back, and they added Jamar Chase. The Bengals are going to be explosive. This is a tough first three games, but then, oh, man, this is this is where it gets fun for me, my hypothetical. <laughs> they play at Green Bay week four, and then Aaron Rodgers gets traded at Denver for week five. <laughs> they got to play him again. So Aaron Rodgers getting traded at Denver is a thing for you. Is that what you're saying? You're saying that's a thing? In the middle of the season. Oh, my God. Steelers have to play him week four and week five. <laughs> I don't know what's funnier. The thought of having to face Aaron Rodgers twice – off a season where he just won the MVP and lit up the whole freaking league and threw like 48 touchdowns with like, what, five or six picks? Yep. And then having to face the Steelers' defense twice. I don't know what's funnier, that or hearing Steelers fans try to justify them getting lit up by saying that Ben's better than Aaron Rodgers for 14 days. Mm. The fu- the latter would be funnier well, the, to me. The latter's probably the funnier one, but... Uh, I think if the Steelers had to play Aaron Rodgers back to back weeks, they'd be like, "This sucks." <laughs> and then you bring up Super Bowl Forty Five, and then fans here are even more pissed. You're like, "What did you think was going to happen?" Right? Seriously? Uh, so then, okay, so hi- if the hypothetical doesn't happen, which it probably won't, <laughs> uh, I like that Denver's here, and we're not. We don't have to go to Denver. Yes, I I think winning that game here, or I should say, playing that game here, makes it far more winnable. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Because... I also like that it's back-to-back home games with Denver and Seattle, and that Seattle's Sunday night football, that'll be a good game. That's true, and the Steelers at home in primetime are usually pretty good. Yes. Now, here's my thing. Tweak this schedule a bit, and it probably looks worse. If they're playing at home against Green Bay, on the road against Denver, and maybe not Sunday night against Seattle, mm-hmm. maybe they lose three games in a row. It's possible. It's very possible. And I also, uh, the week seven bye, it's an early bye. You're only going to play six games, and then you got your back half is 11. I don't love that, but at least the front half isn't as heavy as this back half. See, when it comes to the bye week, I have to remind people, there used to be a time when, I mean, this is from as early as when I was a kid up until maybe five or six years ago. Usually the Steelers' bye week was like that first week of October. You know why? I, you know why I remember this? Because my birthday's in the beginning of October, mm-hmm. and there was very seldom a Steeler game around the time of my birthday, and it used to drive me crazy. <laughs> it used to drive me nuts because it's like, oh, it's my birthday weekend, and the Steelers have a bye week. It, you just came to expect it. It was just how it was for so long. 
So many people complain, oh, the bye week's so early. It was like that for like a decade. What are you talking about? And it's, it's a little bit later this year. Right. It's, it's later even, in October. It, it's later than it used to be. It's two weeks later than it was before in years past. Um, actually, I'm wrong. It might be three weeks later. But, you know, all the same, having that bye week in like late October, looking at what you're facing down the gullet in November, maybe that's not a terrible thing. Agreed. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Because October 31st, you come right out of the bye week. Now, granted, you have two weeks to prepare for Cleveland on Halloween in Cleveland. So have fun with that. How's that not a night game? The I don't Steelers, know. Steelers-Browns on Halloween. I don't know. That screams night game to me. But it's a 1 o'clock CBS game, so they're probably going to have their best crew work in that game. At least you would think. It'll be Nance and Roma. It'll probably be Nance and Roma for that game. So you have that happening, and yeah, by the way, Cleveland and Pittsburgh's a thing again, so have fun with that one. Mm-hmm. Week after that, you're going. You get you get an extra day to prepare for the Bears for Monday Night Football, but you're going to be at home as opposed to being in Cleveland facing the Browns. So that's those are two things that work to your favor. The next Sunday after that, you're at home against the Lions, and, they're like, and their quarterback is now Jared Goff. Their quarterback is now Jared Goff, and they're also still the Lions. But <laughs> but here's what gets tricky. You're going to L.A. to face the Chargers after that because Justin Herbert now has a left tackle. Also on Sunday Night Football. Also on Sunday Night Football. (laughs) On the West Coast, which is not always as fortuitous as being at home on Sunday Night Football. Right. Then you're going to Cincinnati the week after that. Then the week after that, you're home against the Ravens. You get pockets here where you wonder, what do they do in this three-game swing? Mm. Do they win all three games? And you have a handful of these. So the bye week being where it is, people might complain it's too early. I might argue, you know, it might be a little bit too late based on how the schedule looks. That's all I'm saying because you got Packers, Broncos, Seahawks, then the bye week. I wouldn't mind having that stuck in the middle of Packers, Broncos, Seahawks. Maybe having the bye week either before the Packers game or before the Seahawks game to give you more time to prepare for one of those two games that probably don't look that good on paper. I I can't argue that. Especially if they have to play Aaron Rodgers twice. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if, you're, if, you're, if your hypothetical happens, that makes it all the more critical. I can't disagree with that. I mean, if they're going to play Green, at Green Bay, they're going to face Rodgers, then they're going to play Denver. Bridgewater's got tons of fast weapons right. in Denver now. Plus, they also have a really good cornerback in Patrick Sertan that they went and got. That helps that defense reload, right. by the way. Right. So that's going to be tough. And then Russell Wilson and the Seahawks on Sunday Night Football the next week. I agree with you. That's a tough stretch. They could lose all three of those and then go into the bye week and be like, oh, man, did we need did we need some time off? But the, they lose all three of those. They're in trouble because I don't think they're beating Buffalo on opening weekend. Nor do I. So they're probably going to lose that game. They might not beat the, the Raiders. The Raiders play them tough. It's going to be a close game at least. They should beat Cincinnati. Should. But then Green Bay, Denver, Seattle, they could lose all three. Or at I, least go one and two. I don't disagree at all. And and that's how I'm looking at this I'm looking at this season in three game pockets right now. Because the first one, Bills, Raiders, Bengals, the Raiders and Bengals at home. After that, at Green Bay, home against the Broncos, home against the Seahawks, after the bye week, at the Browns, home against the Bears, home against the Lions. And you hope you win two of those three mm-hmm. with the Bears and the Lions. After that, at Chargers, at Bengals, home against the Ravens. After that at Minnesota, home against the Titans, at the Chiefs. Oh. What? <laughs> you got the Titans and the Chiefs on the road back-to-back? Wow. And then after that, you come back, and it's home against the Browns, and then at the Ravens to close out the season. 
There aren't many breaks in this schedule. You don't get much space to breathe. Dude, that <laughs> that December January stretch is so bad. I've never seen something like this. The Ravens at the Vikings, then Tennessee, then at the Chiefs, Cleveland, then at the Ravens. I believe they said those final four teams want to combine 47 and 14. And that's who they got to finish the season with. And all four of them made the playoffs last year. Yeah. And two of them are in your division, and those are huge games. Mm -hmm. And one of those teams played the Super Bowl. And if they had two starting tackles, maybe the Super Bowl goes differently. And the other team has the best running back in the league. There's that, too. So, yeah. <laughs> it. This is one of the... Here, here's what's crazy. I hear people talk about, oh, the NFL's out to screw the Steelers. Um, people, people, let me tell you something. Let me tell you a little story. About ten, almost 10 years ago, I moved from Pittsburgh for the first time. I lived my entire adult life. The first 30 years of my life, I lived in Pittsburgh. Moved to the middle of northwest Arkansas, just outside of Fayetteville. First job. You know, as a TV anchor, first time living outside of Pittsburgh. You know who my first few friends were living in Arkansas? Steeler fans who lived in Arkansas. Mm. They're everywhere. One of the friends that I became friends with was one of my coworkers. Was from California. Grew up in California. But his family were Steeler fans. Because his dad watched the Steelers in the 70s. And that's how he became a Steeler fan. So his whole family, despite living in California, were all Steeler fans. I'm like, how does that work? He's like, dude, we've been Steeler fans my entire life. I'm like, all right, dude, whatever. There are, my point is there are Steeler fans everywhere. The league benefits more from having Steeler fans everywhere than trying to screw the Steelers at every turn. The Steelers are one of the most illustrious franchises in this league's history. That's why they have five primetime games this season. Exactly. People think, oh, they're trying to screw the Steelers. No, they're putting the Steelers out in the forefront because they're one of their best franchises and model franchises to do that with over the past five decades. That's why. They're going to have eyeballs on TV week 15, 16, 17, 18, all on the Steelers. Yes. And yes. and they get them Thursday night where they're by themselves against Minnesota. They play the Ravens the week before that. They're going to have eyeballs on that game. The Bengals, that's a division game. They'll probably have eyeballs on that game. And three different outlets are going to make money from that. Yep. Fox, NBC. NFL Network, and Amazon. People's eyes will be on Amazon Prime oh, to yeah. watch the Steelers play that's the That's right, Vikings. Amazon. That's right. You think that's a coincidence? No. 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 Because they know if the Steelers are playing, people all over the freaking world are going to watch that game, and Amazon's going to get some money out of this. Everybody's going to benefit from this. When I hear the, oh, they're trying to screw the Steelers. No, they're not. Like, if anything, they're trying to ensure that they get more eyeballs and make more money. What's the answer to 9 out of 10 questions? I use this a lot. I use a Vanilla Sky reference a lot. What's the answer to 9 out of 10 questions? Money. Everybody wins with this. Does it make the Steelers schedule any easier? No. But it's a lot easier for the league. People think that they try to, oh, they're trying to screw the Steelers to, to screw the Steelers. No. They're trying to put the league out there to benefit the league and everybody else underneath it. So let's let's ease up on this because... Let's not forget who held the record for the most championships in this league's history as far as Super Bowls are concerned. Who held that record for the longest time? The Steelers. Steelers did. So let's let's ease up on this. Let's kind of pump the brakes because there is this correlation. 
and it's not just the Steelers fan base to, 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 to clarify. New England has that issue too. There's a lot of fan bases like, oh, they're out to get us. No, they're not. There's a, there's a problem that comes with being up here. When you're up here at the top of the mountain, everybody's gunning for you now. That's the, the price that comes with being one of those marquee franchises. You now become a target because everybody's trying to be like you, which means you're getting a lot of the TV games, a lot of the national games. Trust me, there are some fans in other cities going, why do the Steelers have five nationally televised games? Why don't we shift the perception a little bit? Right. That's all I'm saying. I agree with that. And I think uh, for a lot of these road games, you're going to, especially Los Angeles Chargers game, Yes, it's going to be Steelers country on Sunday night football. It's going to be Steelers country, but you're also going to be in L.A. Mm-hmm. Like, there's... There's a lot on top of that. I know quite a few folks that are like, we're going to L.A. for the Chargers game. Like, they're trying to make that trip in out November, there. In November, too. In November to L.A. <laughs> would, would you not want to be in L.A. in November? I would. <laughs> a lot nicer there than it is here. I'll take L.A. in November any day. It's also way more fun as a Steelers fan when, you're, when your schedule is this loaded. Right. Every game is going to be intense and means a lot more whenever you're not playing the Jets. I mean... I like a good blowout, but I would much rather watch a game where it's competitive and it's two good teams playing each other than watching the Steelers beat the tar out of the Jets. Right. I anticipate a lot of interesting Steelers parties at my uncle's house this season. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) It's going to be a fun time. But, you know, when you kind of put a bow on all of this, there's there's two ways you can look at it. You can look at it as the Steelers being complimented for being that kind of marquee franchise, or you can look at it as – this is the season where everything's going to be kind of put to the test here. We're going to figure out just how good this coaching staff is. We're going to figure out just how much this quarterback has left. We're going to figure out just how much the team actually succeeded in fixing some of the problems they had going into the offseason. None of these things are going to be vague and ambiguous. They will be very much laid out, and we will have definitive answers. This won't be the, oh, we take what we see and spin it toward our narrative. No, this is a pass-fail class. This is no longer a a getting judged by grades and the grades being graded on a curve, depending on who the professor is. This is pass-fail now. It's like Ben wants to come back. They want to bring Ben back. Let's see what he can do against this kind of schedule. Yeah, It's like, all right, you say he's legit. Now here's a chance to prove he was legit. Yep. Now here's the interesting part. Here, here's, here's my grand, bold prediction out of everything as far as the schedule and how the season goes. As far as individual games – who's going to win which game and how their record will finish and how they'll win the division. I'm not ready to do that yet because it's freaking May. I just can't do that. <laughs> However, my bold prediction for this upcoming season, I got one. And it's, it's the only prediction that I have that I think needs to be reminded of people or people need to remind themselves of. My grand prediction for all of this is going to come down to one, one out of two things. Either one, Steelers fans will use this whole thing as fuel this schedule and everything being, you know, used, everything being set against them as fuel for why they succeeded and won so many games and were so successful. Or it'll be an excuse as to why everything falls apart. There's no in-between. It will be either or. Because that's how this fan base likes to operate. We like to operate at two extremes. We don't like to think of things rationally as, you know what, this is how things went because of how they handled certain situations. No, 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 no. It's either everything was stacked against them and it was, it was them against the world and that's how they succeeded or everything was against them and that's why they failed. That's it. There's no in-between. Mm. That's the one prediction I have based on this schedule for this upcoming season. My prediction is Ben and Tomlin will continue to be above room temperature. 
because they can't go 500. But I think that I think that they're going to at least finish above room temperature. And I think that's fair because of what we talked about with the draft. They fixed a lot of problems mm-hmm. with the draft. This offense should be a lot better than what I can't possibly imagine. This team having the worst rushing offense in football second year in a row. I just can't see it with Not the moves with the they number made. one running back in the draft. With too. The number one running back in the draft, and I don't care what you tell me. He's a significant upgrade over James Conner and everybody else in that room. Yes, it it's not it's not bad to say that. Like people are like, oh well, you know, you have this guy. Yeah, you do. He's still better than that guy. Sorry, still better than that guy. It it, it is what it is. The offensive line, we can say what we want. The offensive line might be better for two reasons. One, hopefully your center can snap the ball directly to the quarterback as opposed to the alternative, which is pretty much a win by default. And number two, I expect much better left tackle play. Mm. I expect much better left tackle play, and I expect much better run blocking with this group because of A, the offensive line coach being better, B, the play caller being better if only by default, and C, the scheme that they're going to use is going to tailor more to what they already have or what they just acquired in this most recent draft. That's how I feel about it. But all that kind of feeds into your prediction of this coach and quarterback, which I think the relationship is symbiotic. It is never one more or one over the other. History has told us that it's the two together and nothing more, nothing less. That this coach and quarterback will be successful largely because of the things surrounding the quarterback being easier to make his job better. I also look at the back half of the schedule it's really concerning to me with two division games to wrap up the season, one being Cleveland. I mean, that could be that could be a crucial game for the second wild card spot yes. if the Ravens win the division or the other way around if the Browns are going to win the division. That game against Baltimore in the final week of the season could be for the second wild card spot. Or the division could be on the line. Yes. There, There's that third possibility. That is crucial that they're playing two division opponents after they got to play Tennessee and Kansas City. Right. Dude. <laughs> right. You got to face Derrick Henry and then Mahomes at Arrowhead and then follow it up with Ravens and Browns. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> I, let me put it this way. When I was like 11 years old, it was like my dream to, to be able to do what they're doing. I am now almost 40. And I do not envy them. You don't want to be there. I don't want that job. I'm looking at that the way that Bill Cosby looked at the job of being the boss in this household. I've seen the boss's job, and I don't want it. (laughs) So good luck to them. But no, all in all, it, it it does tell us that, A, the division is more competitive. Because of, one... Baltimore still having a lot of what they had last year and maybe improving in a couple different areas. But Cleveland continues to trend upward. They had a decent draft. They've done pretty well in free agency. They've added some pieces. The teams in this division are trending upward. Even Cincinnati is trending upward. Mm -hmm. Having Joe Burrow on that team was an automatic up arrow. But now you had Jamar Chase. They feel like they've addressed their offensive line issues to the point where they didn't have to draft an offensive lineman in the first couple rounds. They feel like they've shored up their line, or at least put in suitable replacements. So maybe that does work for them. But if nothing else, they are starting to trend upward. The entire AFC North is going to be a little bit better than it was last year. 
Is that good for the Steelers or bad? We'll have to find out. But another thing that sticks out is that the AFC, last year I would have told you the AFC was Kansas City and everybody else. But the teams that you can make a case for being beneath Kansas City or at least in, in the direct, you know, in the direct vicinity, they got to face those teams too because they got to face Buffalo week one. So, you know, it's not just hard from the division standpoint. It's hard from the conference standpoint too because you talked about it getting the playoff spot. If it comes down to a tiebreaker, how they do with some of these teams, how they do against the Bills, how they do against the Raiders, how they do against the Broncos, how they do against the Chargers, all that stuff is going to stack up outside of what they do in the division. So it becomes even more important as time goes along. Couldn't agree more. And it's May. It's May. <laughs> and we're and we're already digging into that. We just passed Mother's Day and we're looking at the schedule like, holy crap, this can go absolutely to pot. <laughs> but that's the NFL for you. They know how to get us talking about you it. You know what's hilarious? All the schedule leaks during the day and people just like, oh, it's out. Their week one schedule leak, it's out. Couldn't wait till 8 o'clock, huh? <laughs> I mean, we're that hung up on the NFL that we're like, dude, dude, week one, here we go. They had they had to know this is getting leaked out. They had to know. It gets leaked every time. It, come on. It's the worst kept secret. It's it's but honestly, it comes back to it. We are we are a couple days after Mother's Day talking about the NFL. Mission they, accomplished. They stay relevant all yeah, the time. It's what they do. Like as far as leagues in this country go, the NFL is still king. You're better off just accepting it and moving on. Which is what we're going to do, because we got to talk some baseball here. Pirates have gone through some injuries in the past couple weeks here. Not only injuries, but then weird COVID-related situations where Gregory Polanco wasn't on the roster for a spell there. And not only have they lost Colin Moran at first base, the guy that they were expecting to replace him there in, in Philip Evans, he is now hurt. He just got put on the injured list. So now they call up Will Craig. So we're getting to the point where a team that's already in the middle of a rebuild they're losing guys that were supposed to be out there every day helping them out. And now they're going to the cupboard, and the cupboard's getting bare. We're talking about a team that was supposed to have a few guys in the outfield that hopefully one sticks. They're through, what, three or four different guys playing the outfield now that they've brought in between Anthony Alford and Ka'ai Tom and Dustin Fowler, and now it's Troy Stokes Jr. They, they just keep shuffling. And Ben in. Gamble of ben all Ben Gamble. People. They're shuffling guys in and out. And you tell people, this is what a rebuild looks like. You're not bringing in bodies, per se, all of them, to be fixtures of the future. Sometimes you're bringing in bodies because you need nine bodies on the field. You need a body in the outfield. You need a body in the outfield. You need a body behind the plate. You need at least one body that can pitch every five days. And you need four more guys to help come behind that guy. This is how this works. And it does kind of lend to another side of the coin here because you and I talked about this. There was a discussion, I believe it was the Reds broadcasters, that talked about the Garrett Cole trade to the Astros and how Joe he, Joe Musgrove trade. Oh, the we're talking about the we're talking about, I mean trading Garrett Cole to to Houston and the players that they got back, including Joe Musgrove. Yes, yes. And yes. how the players that they got back from the Garrett Cole trade in the person of Jason Martin, Joe Musgrove, Michael Feliz, and Colin Moran are now no longer on the Pirates roster or injured. And my response to that is, so what? Because Jason Martin left as a free agent. Um, Michael Feliz was designated for assignment. He's not gone yet. Designated from assignment doesn't mean you're out, outright kicked off the team or released or not on the roster anymore. Basically, it's like baseball purgatory. 
you know, you just can't pray your way out. You either wait for a team to claim you, or you get sent down, or you can refuse it. You can freeze outright waivers and become a free agent yourself. But there's a lot of layers to being designated for assignment. Mm-hmm. Then there's Colin Moran, and it's like, he got hurt. Yeah, that one's not fair. Like, and he got hurt actually making a good defensive play at first base, which I don't care who you ask, you get random Pirates fan two years ago and say, hey, Colin Moran, that might actually be a decent first baseman in two years. All of them will call you a liar. Got hurt playing his position fairly well, and we're like, oh, see, this is how things went wrong. No, because Colin Moran was actually playing well before he got hurt. That doesn't count. It. I have an issue with the way we look at trades in retrospect with this really weird lens of, oh, yeah, let's make it fit the way we want to because it's easier that way. No, because, yes, Joe Musgrove got traded off to San Diego. You mentioned that Joe Musgrove's no longer a member of the team, but you leave out the fact that he brought four guys back by himself. So if you're looking at it the way you should transactionally, instead of just saying, oh, these guys are no longer here, yeah, one's no longer here out of the four, but he got you four guys back, and one of them is already becoming a pretty good reliever in your bullpen in David Bednar. Yep, agreed. You're looking at this the wrong way. And and Bednar wasn't doing that at all in San Diego. No. But when he came here, it was a fresh start, and he's been awesome. And he just pitched in a day game against Cincinnati in a 1-1 game. He comes in in the eighth with the runner on, strikes out two guys, and gets out of that inning clean. Throws a 100-mile-an-hour fastball to get him, to get the To get the final strike out of the inning. This guy's pitching high-leverage situations now. This is one of the guys you got back for Joe Musgrove, who got shipped off after being one of the four guys you got in the Garrett Cole trade. We always look at this in the wrong lens because, oh, yeah, they traded off a bunch of dudes. Okay, fine. But one guy out of four in a trade got you four more. Mm -hmm. And a couple of those guys... Might be interesting fixtures in the next couple of years. We're looking at this the wrong way. Also, Colin Moran getting hurt. I talked about this before. He got hurt doing his job. But there's one part we leave out. Colin Moran might not have that job if they hadn't traded the previous guy who held that job before at first base with Josh Bell. And, oh, yeah, by the way, that guy's terrible at his job right now. I, I, I sent you this text message because I thought this was important. Mm-hmm. Shout out to um, Raise the Jolly Roger, the Twitter account, and who used to run the blog. He pointed this out. He had a tweet that said, the one where Nationals fans watch Josh Bell play defense. He had a screen cap of different tweets of Nationals fans talking about how terrible Josh Bell is at defense. <laughs> which is the same things we used to say before he got traded. Right. And then we got confused and surprised when he didn't bring anything back in return. Because you got a first baseman who can't throw and can't catch. And he's not hitting either. Right. Meanwhile, the guy who played there before when the team was actually a postseason contender, he couldn't really throw or catch either. It's funny how this keeps happening. Right. But it's funny because you look at what Nationals fans are saying about Josh Bell's defense. And one of them said, well, let's be very clear. Zimmerman wouldn't have been able to make that throw either. But damn, Josh Bell's struggles are real. (laughs) And another guy said, MLB players are incredibly talented. Josh Bell can absolutely rig, but I throw harder than that from first. Another guy said, Josh Bell is so bad. I mean, good Lord, he can't even throw the baseball, and he plays baseball for a living. (laughs) These are people from the team that Josh Bell got traded to. And, oh, yeah, he's hitting, like, well below the Mendoza line. It's funny how we can laugh at Todd Frazier being terrible, but we don't talk about when the guy who got traded that Todd Frazier plays, one of the positions he plays was that guy's position, and that guy's been terrible, too. At least Josh, at least, at least, 
Todd Frazier can play defense. What the hell is Josh Bell's excuse? That's what I'm trying to figure out. That's, that's a fair point. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Josh Bell had two good months in Pittsburgh, and Pirate fans like, he's back. You know, this is the guy that we thought we, we, we were going to get. And they're like, lock him up. Get him now. Could you imagine if he would have actually gotten an extension, like a 10-year deal, and he's hitting and playing like this? It would be Gregory Polanco all over again. Remember Gregory Polanco got that got that contract extension? Was it 2015, I want to say? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, man, they locked him up. and they, they didn't pay a lot to get him. Now they're like, Polanco's got this crazy big contract. Why is he even here? They're damned if they do and damned if they don't. Yep. So if they actually would have given Josh Bell that kind of extension, he'd be Gregory Polanco 2.0. Thankfully, his uh, agent is Scott Boris, and he would <laughs> never, ever let that happen. It's, it's not every day that Pirates fans say, thank God for Scott Boris, <laughs> in retrospect. It does not happen that often. But in this situation, thank you, Scott Boris. <laughs> because but, I, I just thought about that. I was like... Could you imagine he's hitting 138 right now for the Nationals and he cannot field his base? Could you imagine if they had him right now, even if he didn't sign the extension, if they still kept him, they're like, we're trying to move him by the deadline. Who's going to want that? I don't know. And uh, that was one of my criticisms about the trade. I'm sitting there going, why do it that early? Why not let him play the season, try to build his trade value up, and then maybe get more back? And now I look at him and go, oh, no, they did the right thing. <laughs> that worked. It, it, I mean, Will Crow, we're, we're recording this episode. Will Crow started the night we're recording this episode. He started against San Francisco. Would you take Will Crow now over what Josh Bell's doing? In retrospect, uh, yeah. I think I would. You don't know what's going on right now, but I won't tell you. I mean, well, granted, yeah, I, I'm, I'm watching the... I'm watching the Pirates get lit up by the Giants. Oh, okay. You're seeing it too. I'm seeing the score updates too. But it, 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 it begs to reason. Will Crow, I expect to get better. Mm-hmm. Josh Bell, I expect it to be better already. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Home Run Derby might have actually cursed Josh Bell. Home Run Derby cursed, um, who was it from Philly all those years ago? Ryan Bobby Hunt. Abreu. Oh, Bobby Abreu. Cursed Bobby Abreu. There's some people that say cursed Robinson Cano, but I mean. Eh. Eh. He, he's he got a PED problem. He needs to fix that problem first. I, some, would, some would argue that the home run derby cursed Robinson Cano. Some would argue that the Mets cursed Robinson Cano. <laughs> You're a Mets you, fan. I'll let you, you leave just, that. I'll, I'll, I'll leave that for you as you will. You just had to get that shot it, in. It had to be said. <laughs> I mean, it, it may not all be his fault. That's all I'm saying. Uh, there was one more thing I wanted to talk about here. Jamison Tyone. Yes. They got a a solid return for him. Yahure is already called up to the Pirates as we speak. Right. And Tyone's got a 5 ERA. Now, granted, he's facing the AL East. Which is always, always going to be a different animal. Look what Sonny Gray's doing with the Reds and what he did in New York. Right. I mean, it's day and night whenever you're pitching in the AL East. It just is. The only guy that was able to figure it out, other than Garrett Cole was Jay Happ when he went to the Blue Jays and won 18 games. It was like, how is this guy doing this? And he did it once. Yeah, and that was it. And that was it. <laughs> and I, I remind people all the time that, you know, baseball is not playing in a vacuum. 
you know, you're you're not always playing against the same people every night. Yes, granted, when you play a three game series, you're playing against that same team every night. Mm. But on the course of who you're playing against, or playing with, or playing for, you're not playing the same game. Remember, I have to remind people all the time: this is a game where both sides of the league don't have the same uniform rules. Yet we expect the game to be exactly the same from team to team and league to league. No, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. That makes no sense at all. So when you go from the NL Central to the AL East, yeah, there are some things that are going to look a lot different. Because there aren't a lot of days off. Because the Yankees aren't going to give you a day off if you're facing them. Boston, whom I think is surprising a lot of people, they're not giving you a day off if you face them, especially if you're at Fenway. The Rays, they just continue to prove people wrong that you're not getting a day off against them. You can make the argument for Baltimore, but John Mead just went through a no-hitter, and Baltimore's actually competing in games now. Mm. People thought they'd be a doormat, but they're not laying, they're not really laying down or rolling over like we thought they would. And Toronto's offense is mashing. Toronto continues to mash the ball, even with a healthy George Springer. Like, it, it doesn't... You don't get much respite going up and down that division. So when we talk about, oh, well, he's going to go here and do this, what do, we, what do we mean exactly? Another guy that has figured it out is Tyler Glass now. Yes. And people that want to criticize the Garrett Cole trade, criticize the Joe Musgrove trade, I'm still criticizing the Tyler Glass now Austin Meadows. Everybody's going to criticize the Tyler Glass now Austin Meadows trade. The fact that they both are killing it in Tampa, I mean, Glass now couldn't throw a strike to save his life in Pittsburgh, and now he's killing it for them. Meadows is killing it for them. But the fact that they got uh, Chris Archer back on their team, it's gone full circle. Absolutely. That's one that's going to grind my gears for years. Here's what's crazy about that trade. At the time, I liked it at the time because they were actually going for it. Yeah, I saw. I thought the same thing. Because there was the whole, well, you can't trade prospects and don't mortgage the future and you got to go all in. And they did that. Yep. They shouldn't have, but Be they Be careful did. what you wish for. <laughs> yeah. This is why I tell people all the time, stop assuming every trade is the same or every situation or every circumstance is the same. They're not. Because they did what you wanted them to do. They went quote-unquote all in, and they didn't, you know, they, they quote-unquote mortgaged the future, and the future was what you should have kept. Mm-hmm. Remember how much people wanted Quintana? That guy's got a 10.6 They ERA. wanted Jose Quintana, and, and the crazy part is, the Jose Quintana, really, the only difference between the two trades between Jose Quintana and Chris Archer is that Jose Quintana is left-handed. Other than that, it would have been the same damn deal. Yep. It's the same trade. Yep. Now, the crazy part about it is you saw the trade that the White Sox and the Nationals had with Adam Eaton mm. going to um, Washington, or going from Washington to Chicago. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Talking about currently or the one before? The one before. It would have been Chicago to Washington. To Chicago to now Washington. now he's back in Chicago. He's back in Chicago. Yes. That was a deal that came full circle. I bring that trade up because what deal was supposed to happen before that one but fell through at the 12th hour? Andrew McCutcheon going to Washington. Yeah. That trade was supposed to happen. I remind people, when I see Lucas Giolito, I'm like, Lucas Giolito could have been a pirate. Yeah. That trade probably should have happened for what they were probably offering. If you can get Lucas Giolito in the trade from, the, from, uh, from Washington... Why wouldn't you make that move? Because Giolito's pitching for the White Sox, and he's shoving right now. I'd rather have Lucas Giolito as a pirate. That would be, no doubt, the number one ace on this team. Yes. Without, <laughs> he'd be number one with the bullet. No question. Yeah. And with fact, or without Joe Musgrove, by the way. And the fact now that Washington, 
or uh, that the White Sox just have Adam Eaton in their outfield again. Like, right. All right, thanks, man. How'd that work <laughs> out? Like, seriously? And he got hurt in Washington and missed the entire season. So the Nationals really lost that trade. But this is this is what it takes. This is how easily things can go sour. It's it's not just happening to the Pirates. And it could have happened to the Pirates more than once. It's happening to the Mets with the Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz trade. You, you and Kel- I talked about that. Kellenick is getting called up, or did get called up, to the Mariners. I didn't realize that Justin Dunn was a part of that deal. Yes. And he's in the rotation already for the Mariners. Starting every fifth day. And... Cano is suspended for the entire year, hasn't been very good since he came to the Mets, and Edwin Diaz hasn't been the same Edwin Diaz that he was in Seattle. This is one of those trades that you look at in hindsight, and it should make you appreciate some of the stuff that Neil Huntington used to do. Mm. Because the, the, the Mariners did something that the Pirates have previously have done, and quite a few teams have previously have done. They take a closer, who's young, who's cheap, but he's good and he's efficient. They trade him off, get a bunch of pieces in return. And then they start all over and do it all over again. How many guys did we see the Pirates get rid of as closers and turn them into something else? A lot. They turned Joel Hanrahan into Mark Melanson. And we leave that part out. But that was that was a pretty good move as far as let's unload one closer and maybe have the future one coming back in return. And teams have been doing this for a long time. Billy Bean's been doing that for more than 20 years. Mm-hmm. Taking a closer and flipping them for something else of value because we put too much value on closers. Not we, but there are teams that put too much value on closers and closing out the ninth inning. You probably got three guys in your bullpen now that can do it. But since you've seen this guy do it a handful of times, I was, oh, he must be really good. Oh, he's quirky. He's got this weird little delivery. He's got this weird stare at the mound. He must be good in the ninth <laughs> inning. Four guys in your bullpen can probably do that too. Well, I have a feeling that uh, Richard Rodriguez is going to be the next one that gets moved. From Pittsburgh. And that's exactly what they should do. And then make David Bednar your closer. If there's one pirate I'm rooting for to do well, it's Richard Rodriguez. Yep. Build his value up to they're like, wow, he's great ninth inning reliever. He must be a good closer. Good. Give us three guys for him. Yep. Thank you. Yep. That's exactly what you want. And yeah, the Mets got the Mets got yanked on that deal. Just like the Red Sox got yanked got yanked getting Joel Hammerhand for Mark Melanson. They got yanked on that deal too. Hmm. And you have teams that have been doing this for years now. So we, we keep looking at trades with the same jaundiced eye as if they're all created equal. They're not. But sometimes you need to look at the circumstances behind them to figure out what makes sense and what doesn't. Because, yeah, the Chris Archer trade was bad, and they could have made another one before that. And we kind of lose sight of that. So, you know, there is a lot of caveat emptor that we don't always realize when we see some of these deals made. And more importantly, we tend to look at every deal the Pirates made as the absolute bad one. No, there were some ones that they made that were good. Are we excusing the Chris Archer trade? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That blew up totally in their faces, and they should be reminded of such. If Vasquez didn't love children, that deal that they got him for with Melanson was a huge trade. Yes. I mean, he was killing it here. That trade with Washington was good until. Yeah, until. Dot, dot, dot. Right. But as a baseball player, excellent deal. Yeah, it looked great at the Every time. Every time I'd watch him pitch, I was like, yeah, the Pirates won this deal. <laughs> it looked absolutely great at the time. Now, there's there's more into that because Taylor Hearn came back in that deal with Washington, and they flipped him to Texas to get K.O. Nikella. Mm-hmm. And that deal blew up in their face. <laughs> so... <laughs> You can't win every deal. This is what I'm talking. That's where I'm going with this. Unless like, you're Billy Bean. 
<laughs> and I'm sure there's some he probably regrets. But that that's that's my point with this. Like you you don't know what's going to happen until the time comes. So when I hear people say, Oh, well, the Garrett Cole trade, you know, no one's left on the roster, even though one guy's hurt, and that's not like it's it's his or anybody else's fault. And then you fail to mention that one of the guys who's no longer on the roster brought you back four players in return, and one lit up your one came out of the bullpen and lit up your lineup in that same game. And if you if you kept Cole for the extra year, you wouldn't have gotten anything for him because he was because he was gone after that. He was gone either way. And when you know a player is not coming back, it lowers his value. Yeah. You have to try to have a little bit more leverage. I didn't like the way it happened, but I understood why they did it. Me personally, I'm sitting there going, "Why well, trade for Joe Musgrove when you can have when you can have Lance McCullers?" That's what I, that's who I wanted. <laughs> I wanted either Lance Lance McCullers or Brad Peacock. I'm like, bring me back one of those two dudes. Like, I don't know what Joe Musgrove. Granted, Joe Musgrove worked out in for as, as far as what they got back, but you know, when you lay all that out, it's just like sometimes you got to let these things happen, and you're not going to know ahead of time. You're not going to know one or two months in, and more importantly. If you're able to take one piece of a trade and turn it into, turn it into something else, that mean that trade was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Because the Joe Musgrove trade is working out for them right now. The Jamison Tyone trade is working out for them right now. But they're not all going to. When you accept that going in, then it makes it easier to swallow. But this is what rebuilds are. Rebuilds are taking in all, all different types of resources that you can as far as player acquisition. It's not going to be one or two guys. you got to bring in as many guys as you can as possible and hope the cream rises. That's what it is. Well, they're trying to do it with Trevor Cahill. That's why That's why he's on this team. They're trying to flip him. They're trying to do it with Tyler Anderson, too, I believe. And, and he's I actually think, working out. I think he's working out pretty well. It, it, it just, I don't think people realize. I think people get too caught up on the method of player acquisition as opposed to looking at the player themselves. Because mm-hmm. I have to remind people all the time, oh, oh rule, the Rule 5 draft, why does that matter? Um, maybe because they got one of the greatest players in their franchise's history in the Rule 5 draft. In Roberto Clemente. In the mid-50s. Mm-hmm. Long before you knew who he was. <laughs> this is why you don't get caught up in the method of acquisition. Pay attention to who the player is and what they can do. Don't get hung up in, into, into how they got them. How they got them doesn't matter. It's a vehicle. It's not the destination. Can I bring up one more thing real sure. quick? I saw on social media, I believe it was Peter Gammons that said it, that a catcher and a shortstop from high school could possibly go one and two in the draft. And I think it's a huge mistake if they don't go lighter or Kumar at number one. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to use that to tell you another draft story. There was a time within the past couple of weeks that people out there actually believed that the San Francisco 49ers traded up to the third spot in the draft to take Mac Jones. To take Mac Jones. <laughs> Don't believe every single draft story that you hear or draft rumor that you hear. Some of it is a smokescreen. Some of it is just trying to take the heat off a team's interest in a certain player. You really mean to tell me we're finding out now in, in mid-May? Two months before the draft. Two Actually, it was like a month and a half before the draft because the draft is still in June? I think so. I mean, it's usually early June, but it's like we're finding out now, less than six weeks before the draft. It's July 11th. Oh, they moved it back to July. Oh, sorry, they moved it to All-Star. Yes. All-Star week. Yes. Forgot about that. Thank you for pointing that out. So we're two months away from the draft, and all of a sudden, we're going to find out that the two top guys that we've been talking about all year long for maybe the past year and a half 
are no longer the top two guys apparently on the draft right now. Like that just changed, even though they've been lighting it up on one of the best teams in the best conference in college baseball. Yeah, that all that changed overnight. That's why I brought it up. I wanted to see your reaction. Oh, I'm not. I'm not buying into it either. Um, it, if ugh. if you're uh, if you're Ben Charrington, who do you take? I keep coming back to to Jack Leiter. Same. I come back to Jack Leiter because, and and some of this might not be fair to Ben Charrington, but you're going to find a lot of baseball guys who are career baseball guys. They're going to tell you that it's Leiter or Rocker, and neither answer is wrong. Because mm-hmm. Rocker, you're going with the raw ability, you're going with the raw talent, and as Jack Zarensic would say, you're going with the raw physical nature of just what Kamar Rocker can do. And maybe even you're looking at the mental makeup and the attitude that goes into it too. Because Kamar Rocker will shove it up and he don't care. He will bend you over, shove it, and really won't think twice. And you know what? You need a guy like that. Mm-hmm. I had that same mentality when the Browns drafted Baker Mayfield. You need a guy with that attitude. J.T. Brubaker's had that kind of attitude. J.T. Brubaker's had that kind of attitude. When you have a, a franchise who hasn't been winning a lot, you need somebody with the mentality of, every time I go out there, I'm winning, and I don't care who it is. Yep. Even if they're going to lose, they still have the mentality of, we can win this game. People can say what they want about Baker Mayfield. As long as he's playing quarterback for the Browns, they, they believe they can win games. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want. They so, haven't been able to do that for years. And they haven't <laughs> been able to do it probably since, what, Bernie Kosar, Vinny Testaverde? It's been a while. That's all I'm saying. But... There are scouts that probably feel the same way about Kamar Rocker. They're like, look, he's got the stuff, he's got the pedigree, but he also he's got the attitude, too. And if you're a franchise that hasn't won a lot of games, you need a guy going in believing that he can win some games. So I can see why people would like Kamar Rocker. But at the same time, with Jack Leiter, you're like, look, you got the pure pedigree, you got the track record, you got the genetics working for you, and also, same thing, one of the best teams in the best collegiate con- conference in baseball in the country. You can't argue with that. You can't. I don't think you can go wrong with either guy. I don't think so either. I, I keep going back and forth though. I'm like, I see, I see highlights of Rocker striking out eleven. I'm like, boy, he'd be fun. And then I see Lighter go out and throw a no hitter. I'm like, well, he'd be fun too. Right. I mean, they're they're not. First of all, they're not the same player. Second of all, you're not drafting them for the same reasons. And then third, and this is probably the most important. The third thing you're looking at is they probably won't have the same career track. Jack Leiter, I think you could probably fast track a lot easier because the mental side of the game is going to be covered for him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to stray that far from the nest to get a better understanding of the mental side of the game. Why? Because his father pitched 14 seasons in MLB, pitched a no-hitter, was on a World Series champion. There isn't much Al Leiter hasn't done that he couldn't tell Jack Leiter about what he's seen. You have that in your disposal. You have that right there at your fingertips. And, oh, yeah, he's still working in baseball in the Mets front office. That is one thing you're going to look at and say, okay, that is an advantage that Jack Leiter has over Kamar Rocker. Nothing against Kamar Rocker. It just is what it is. Mm-hmm. At the same time, Kamar Rocker might have a higher ceiling. So Rocker might have a higher ceiling, but maybe Leiter has a higher floor. They're not the same guy. But like you said, neither one's the wrong answer. But a high school catcher and a high school shortstop probably are the wrong answer. And if you're buying into that and you bought into the whole Mac Jones thing, they got you twice. They got you twice. <laughs> yes. Just just hand your wallet over, uh, George Jetson, and in, uh, in Jane Jetson style. Take the wallet. She'll take the bills back and hand you the empty wallet back, and you can go home. <laughs> it's the same principle. <laughs> I always know when a segment's probably reached this course because Greg keeps laughing. We are going to take a break. We come back. we got to play our favorite news headline game. 
we got a couple interesting, interesting things to discuss here. Not to mention our favorite subject for our favorite news headline game. He's had it again, folks. He's had it. I'm, I'm telling you, either give him a give him a reality show or give him a podcast and just let him fire off. It, it would make all of us better. If there's one person that lives in our head rent free, it's this guy. <laughs> yes, but it, he's such a great house guest. <laughs> we will discuss it when we come back. Episode number 15 of the Sunday Morning Grind. Stick around. You're listening to the Sunday Morning Grind podcast, a show where we talk about sports both on the Pittsburgh level locally, but also around the sporting world as well. We have a little fun with it, by the way, too. You can download the Sunday Morning Grind on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Anchor, or Spotify, basically anywhere you get your podcasts from. Now let's get back to the show. You hear the music. You know it's time to get crazy. It's time to play our favorite news headline game, Is This a Thing? This is the fun part. This is where Greg and I pretty much take a look around what's happening around us, what's been said, what's been tweeted, what's been reported, and we look around and say, wait a minute, is this a, is this, is this a thing? Is this something we should pay attention to? Is it important? Is it worth our time or is it indeed fake news? Let's take a look at it. We got to start. We got to start with um, Kevin Durant. First of all, background for this particular story. Kevin Durant, Maryland native. You know, DMV area, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, for those who don't know. Kevin Durant from that Maryland area. Keep that in mind. Someone is talking about Shohei Otani on social media. They're talking about Otani, and they send a tweet to Kevin Durant. Because it was, it was originally a Bleacher Report tweet that said Shohei Otani just threw 88 pitches and now he's playing in right field. So there was somebody who sent this tweet to Kevin Durant and said, KD, do you see this? His response was, different breed. Trading for him now in MLB The Show, Trey Turner might have to dip, LOL. <laughs> so, at the expense of trading one of the players from his own hometown team, Kevin Durant, a Shohei Otani fan. Greg Finley, is this a thing? What did Trey Turner do to be the guy that gets traded? I don't know. <laughs> uh, here's a fun reference. Trey Turner was actually drafted by the Pirates out of high school. want to throw that out there. And then he decided oh, to go to college. So there's that. Of course he was. <laughs> okay, so there's that. But, like, I understand that, like, you, you could turn on automatic trades and trade a guy from single A. But if you're going to make it more realistic, fine. But why Trey Turner? You still need a shortstop. Trey Turner just getting <laughs> sent to the sent to the, the Angels straight up for Shohei Otani. Like, wow. You need a shortstop, though. Otani's not going to play shortstop. My thing is, what did poor Trey Turner do to anybody? That's what, what I'm saying. What did he do to you, KD? And then he goes on Twitter and is like, do I still play for the Nationals? <laughs> <laughs> Trey Turner's one of the few Nationals that's actually doing his job right now. He's actually hitting and playing defense. Unlike other Nationals who shall remain nameless. I think, I think the only wrong answer would have been, I traded Juan Soto. Because you couldn't do that. Right. But... Trey Turner is like, he's really good. I yeah. would have I traded like Starlin Castro or Josh Bell or one of their backup catchers. Jordy like Mercer, perhaps. Yon Gomes. <laughs> is, is Mercer still a national or is he with Philly now? I can't remember. Mercer, he, Mercer's a national. He's still a national. Okay. It's they like, keep, they it's keep like, bouncing around. It's like him, Jay Hay, and Josh Bell all partying in Washington. Josh Harrison might have been a good trade candidate to put in that package for Shohei Otani. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. Yeah, I, it's a thing. It's hilarious. <laughs> And 
uh, Trey Turner clap back being, so do I still play for the Nationals? It's hilarious. Uh, that was Poor Trey Turner. Yeah, good on him for taking it in I stride. think I think he sees it on Twitter. He's like, what did I do to KD, man? Right. <laughs> if, if, if anything, you figured he was on KD's side. Speaking of baseball and possible relocations, this is another one we got to talk about here because it is, it's one that's been discussed for some years now, and it's been an issue for a while, and it kind of ties back to a Pittsburgh sports-related story. SportsCenter broke earlier this week that the Oakland A's, are start, they will start exploring the possibility of relocating to another city with the blessing of Major League Baseball, which could put pressure on the local government to greenlight a new stadium project that has been pretty much, they've been trying to figure this out for years now, and this is Jeff Passan, longtime baseball writer, reporting this. But and to really give you the background to the situation, the A's have needed a stadium for like a good decade now. Yeah. Like it's not a secret that Oakland Alameda Coliseum, and that's not even a name anymore. They've changed the name a couple of times. It used to be Oakland Alameda Coliseum. It's something else now. Alameda being the county that Oakland is in. Now, bear in mind. It's a Ring Central Coliseum. What? Yep. Okay. Ring Central being one word, by the way. Um, The place with a bunch of poop in the basement. Is that a better way to describe it? <laughs> Bear in mind, this is the same place where the Raiders had to game a couple years ago against the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger got hurt. And the team said, well, we couldn't figure out what was going on because there was an issue with the x-ray machine. And people thought the Steelers were lying. I'm like, they've had sewage issues for a decade. And you think they're lying about the x-ray machine? <laughs> that place is a dump. It's not a secret. Everyone knows that place is crappy. They've, been tr- they've needed to get out of there for a good decade plus. And then the city, instead of, here's the crazy part. Because most times you hear about teams building stadiums or relocating, the issue is, oh, the team won't pay for the stadium, they want the city to do it. Here's the issue. The A's are actually willing to pay for the stadium and the area around it. They want help with the infrastructure that will make building the stadium easier. They want Oakland to put money into the infrastructure, which they should probably do anyway. Mm-hmm. By the way, should probably do it regardless. Stadium or no stadium, your infrastructure probably needs some help. It's let's not to be a jerk, but it's Oakland, California. That's all I'm saying. Probably need help with the infrastructure anyway. But the A's are saying, look, if you do this, it might make it easier for us to actually make this work. Because the A's are putting the money up for the stadium. They want to build this entire area up into something that's not just space for the stadium. And according to the renderings, it looks really, really nice. So here's what I'm throwing out there. Given that the the city of Oakland does not really want to work in lockstep with the A's to make this a better situation for everybody to keep the A's there, because if the A's get a ballpark, by the way, it's going to bring a ton of money into the organization, which they've never really had to begin with. So, well, I should say, at least not to spend on players. There's that. But I say all that to say this. The A's leave in town. Is this a thing, Greg? I kind of hope it is, because they've been treated pretty poorly in Oakland. I think they could go somewhere else, get a nice ballpark, and not think twice about it. I mean, you really think the players like showing up every day to that dump? There's no way. <laughs> Figuratively and literally. Dude, yeah. they don't even have a bullpen. Their bullpen is down the, 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 the baselines. Even the Giants renovated their ballpark and got a bullpen, at a legit bullpen. Even the Cubs got moved a bullpen. their bullpen off the field. Yeah. If the Cubs can do it. So I think the only team that hasn't done it is Oakland. Now, in fairness, there is a ton of space inside those foul lines. Like, you could almost put an entire another infield sometimes <laughs> between the foul lines and the seats. True. So there's that. But 
it, it does speak to the fact that that stadium is so outdated. We talk so much about, oh, like teams building stadiums and then they don't get help. No, 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 no. Oakland need one. Uh, they, they need one. Uh, I totally got that backwards. Oakland needs a new stadium. Look, man, the Golden State Warriors got a new stadium. The Giants got renovations. It's time for Oakland A's to do something. And the Giants stadium ain't that old by comparison. No. Not that old. They have a nice ballpark. I like I like that ballpark. And we're not talking about Atlanta where they built Turner Field and then built another one like 20 years later. We're not talking about that. No. That's not that situation. It it For me, it's if you're the A's, you can stay where you are and build a new ballpark, but the city's not for it, or you can go to a place like Vegas and they'll probably take you with open arms. Oh. If, Vegas? That'd be insane. Um, it, if, at this point, it's what, Vegas or Portland? That's it. That's pretty much your options. You're either going to Vegas or you're going to Portland because they're not going to let them move east. They're going to have to keep them out in the west because there's already 15 and 15. What about San Jose? Well, MLB already blocked the possibility of San Jose because the Giants had an issue with that. Mm. Okay. So there, there's that whole dynamic. If they, go to Ve- if they get baseball in Vegas, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Vegas already has hockey. They already have football now, and they already have WNBA basketball. So why not add baseball? And they have baseball. It's just minor league. Mm-hmm. Why not put an MLB team in Vegas? And you know there'll be people there because people in Vegas are actually going to live sporting events. Those teams are being supported. So it won't be a question as to whether or not it'll be profitable in Vegas. Don't make money there. They'll have people in the seats, and once again, they'll be able to spend money on players more. That's a thing to me. You think Billy Bean is on board with going to Vegas? (laughs) I think he's on board with anything that gives him a better opportunity to run a baseball team. Yep. Considering the fact that he's the president of the organization and he has an ownership stake. So I doubt he's arguing. (laughs) I doubt he has a problem with it. For me, that's a thing. Now, speaking of relocating, going back to players relocating, this is an interesting one too because we just talked about the NFL schedule, and this isn't this this hasn't been a secret as far as something that's been discussed or rumored. Maybe because it's just a crazy thought of something like this happening, and you you wonder if it's possible, but this comes from. Jeff Schultz, I believe, of The Athletic, who tweeted out, the Falcons put out their 2021 schedule in pictures. 17 games, 17 pictures. I'm not saying it's 100% certain Julio Jones is traded soon, but what does it say that none of the 17 pictures show Julio Jones, but two of them show Quadri Olison and Stephen Means? <laughs> First of all, Pitt fans don't get mad because they mentioned Quadri Olison. It's nothing against him. However... Julio Jones not being included in the schedule photos because he might be getting traded. Is this a thing? Do you remember the Dak Prescott not being in the Cowboys video at the end of the season? Yeah. And now he's back? Yeah. Do you think Julio says something to management? You think he's like, hey, what's up with this? Do you think he cares? I don't know. That's my question. I don't know how much players pay attention to that kind of stuff. That's a good question. I don't know. Because Atlanta stinks. Now, they look like they might be getting better adding Kyle Pitts they to their Kyle team. Kyle Pitts, and that's a guy who could probably, you know, work off of Julio and both guys could benefit. And Calvin Ridley, too. And they Calvin got Ridley. three SEC guys at wide receiver and tight end. That, my friend, is not a coincidence. Correct. That's all I'm saying. So, I don't know why you would try to blow that up. I don't think that this is a thing. I think that... I think that they want it to be a thing, that they want to try and move him, so they're like, let's not put him in the photos. But it's just a bad look. If I'm a Falcons fan and I don't see him in there, I'd be pretty upset. I'd be like, Julio's about to get traded. But 
after the dash after the DAC thing, and then we see him get that huge contract. Like you said about uh, that tweet I saw about the draft, you can't buy into everything. That's fair. Maybe this is another one where you can't buy into it. That's fair. A wait and see approach. I can't argue with that. But two quadriolisons is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I want to Photoshop Kyle Pitts in one of them. <laughs> yeah, that's something you probably just don't see coming. Is a couple quadriolisons in, in the schedule photos? Because I mean, I'm like, wait, Todd Gurley's still there, right? Right. <laughs> okay, that's odd, but no, that's a fair point. You, you take a wait, wait and see approach. I can't argue with that. Now. Here we go. <laughs> Let's get to the fun stuff. We got a few minutes left here. We saved these for last because they actually are related to each other. Um, this I thought was an interesting story because remember last week's episode in the Neil O'Donnell episode, we talked about our our favorite topic from last week's episode was Jose Canseco predicting that Alex Rodriguez and um, Melinda Gates will be dating by the end of the year. Well, Alex Rodriguez was supposed to be engaged to Jennifer Lopez, and they went their separate ways, which prompted the discussion. Because Jose Canseco was the one, by the way, who predicted that they would break up eventually. So there's that, too. There's a lot here as far as Alex Rodriguez and Jose Canseco and things that he's predicting that would happen. However, TMZ a couple days ago tweeted out, Ben Affleck started reaching out to Jennifer Lopez back in February because they have been seen together hanging out since Jennifer Lopez split up from Ben Affleck. This is the most celebrity news you're going to get in this podcast ever, for the record. But it's all tied in, trust me. But we had someone on Twitter whose name Ashton Batuso. I'm hoping I pronounced this right. And she quote-tweeted this with this with the sentence, How is this not tampering? So my question to you, Greg. <laughs> ben Affleck tampering with Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez's relationship on a higher level than Jose Canseco. Is this a thing? Sure seems like it. It, it, it seems like it to me, too. seems like he had this planned for a while. And he was just waiting. I, I think that they were in cahoots, and she was like, look, I'm going to end it with A-Rod, and then you and I are getting back together. He's like, all right. As long as they don't shoot Gigli, too, I'm okay with it. <laughs> Shout out to Dan Dudley for, for floating that out there. I'm like, you know you're wrong for that one. But, yeah, it it sounds like. It sounds like one of those, you're not happy in your current relationship, so you run into your ex and you start wondering, you start remembering what things used to be like and how it was before. And you're like, maybe you should give it another shot. And it gives me a chance to get rid of this guy. And she hears A-Rod on a microphone and is like, boy, is he bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe she doesn't want to move to Minnesota. <laughs> Nothing against your boys. That's just all I'm saying. But, uh, and I, I say that being the guy who has been the new boyfriend that got dumped for the ex I've been that guy a couple times, so I get it. It worked out okay for you, though. It worked out fine. It, for all intents and purposes, it worked out fine. I ended up meeting my wife, and now we're, we have a beautiful son, so it's, it's okay. But, yeah, this is tampering. It feels like it that way. <laughs> I say all that to say this. Yeah, get, get to the text message you sent me. <laughs> I got to find that one, because that was a good one. Um, it, this one is, it, I have to admit, this is one of the best ever. As far as tying all this together, because we just talked about the possibility of tampering with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. Well, E! News also tweeted before the report of them possibly being seen together in February. E! News tweeted the day before, 17 years after calling off their engagement, Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck are back. The chemistry, quote, the chemistry is unreal. Uh-huh. Jose Canseco 
our new resident love guru, has weighed in on such a story, quote tweeting it and saying, quote, far from shocking. Now, don't forget, too, when you sent me that tampering one, you said, where's Jose Canseco? Where's Jose Canseco in all of this? That was what I said and here when I first is. heard about the tampering tweet. And here he is. And here he is. <laughs> Jose Canseco having once again just being spot on. Hater, it, hater of the year. Spot award. on <laughs> hater of the year when it comes to Jennifer Lopez and Alex Rodriguez. This is a thing. Josh, we've done this segment a lot. It's always going to be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't sum it up any better. Jose Canseco, player hater of the year in 2021. I think Jose Canseco puts on his Twitter account notifications and it puts Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez. And anytime there's a tweet about those two from a reliable source, he's going to chime in. And I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm still hoping A-Rod and Melinda Gates becomes a thing. Like, I really want that to be a thing now. Like, that's... Thanks to Jose Canseco, I am now tempted to put my notifications on for Alex Rodriguez and Melinda Gates stuff, because I want Jose Canseco to be right about this. Just if, because we can if, talk about it again. If he is right about this, then he can predict anything, right? Which is both fascinating... And a little scary. And a little scary all at the same time. <laughs> but you know what? We're here for all of it. Because we will be talking about it every time it happens. I, I can't believe we're ending another show talking about Jose Canseco, but here we are again. It's it's my fault. Because <laughs> before we recorded this podcast, I went on Twitter and was like, eh, let's see what Jose Canseco's up to. <laughs> and I saw it. I was like, oh, dude. <laughs> this ties in with your text about... Him not chiming in on it. I was like, oh, he chimed in. <laughs> we might have to take a segment and like kind of shift from is this a thing and make our own different segment called What's Jose Up To? <laughs> we might have to do that. We might have to just have a segment called What's Jose Canseco Up To? I'm not kidding. What's new with Jose? <laughs> What's new with Jose? I like it. That might have to be a thing. Did we talk about the the time that he tweeted and said – uh Anybody know how to help me with cryptocurrency? <laughs> no. And this guy and this guy replied and was like, I can help you out. And Canseco DM'd him. It's like, hey, you can help me with cryptocurrency? And the reply was just, no way, Jose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's fantastic. This is happening. I should have replied and been like, yep. And then he comes into my DMs. I'm like, dude, will you come on our podcast? <laughs> Oh, my God, that's genius. Why didn't we think of that before? We might have to try that. What's new with Jose? That, In context, that might be a thing. And on that note, that is how we'll wrap up episode 15, the Tim Tebow episode of the Sunday Morning Grind oh, podcast. Wait, wait, we have one more. We, we do? We got to talk about Tim Tebow. Oh, God. We, we got to talk about Tim Tebow. We got to talk about the Jaguars. Oh, Tim Tebow becoming possibly becoming a, a tight end on the Jaguars roster? And Urban Meyer finding a way to screw it up because he will. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask this as a thing, but we can say the answer at the same time. One, two, three. Yes. yes. <laughs> this is a thing because it will probably happen, and Urban, Urban Meyer will find a way to screw it up. He's going to try and run Wildcat with Tim Tebow when he has Trevor Lawrence as his quarterback. It's going to happen. When it does, I'm going to text you and be like, dude, Urban Meyer just ran Tim Tebow 
on Wildcat on fourth and one instead of giving the ball to Trevor Lawrence. Oh, just wait till they get to the goal line and try to run Philly special like the Eagles in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. It's going to happen. They're going to get in the goal line and try to run some crazy Philly special type stuff with Tebow and, and, and Trevor Lawrence. Watch. And announcers are going to eat it up and be like, oh, here comes Tim Tebow. Oh, Tebow magic. No, 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 no. Stop. No, please. No. No. The only thing I find less interesting than Urban Meyer trying to coach a professional football team is Tim Tebow being on that team. Okay? Like, it's no. As a tight end? As a tight end. Which he's never played. Why? (laughs) I could at least stomach him being in the Mets minor league organization. I could at least stomach that. This, what for? And then on that note, we will wrap up the Tim Tebow episode. Episode 15 of the Sunday Morning Grind podcast. I got I got nothing else, man. That's wow. That's all I got. Follow follow us on Twitter. Follow Greg at the GFIN. Follow me, Josh Taylor HD. Follow the show at Sunday M O R N Grind. We will be back at it again next week. What are we gonna talk about next week? Uh, we'll find out whenever we do. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about the Penguins. We'll be talking about the Penguins because the first round will have started against the Islanders. We'll definitely have that. Um, odds are we'll be talking about something that has to do with baseball again, and we'll definitely be talking about something Jose Canseco related because that's how we get down. That's a guarantee. So in the meantime, we will see you next week. And uh, stay out of trouble and stay on Jose Canseco's Twitter. See ya!